Chapter 56 of The Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. Our reception in Kalnagur. The royal city of Kalnagur never contained such splendour, such importance of historic event, nor such a multitude of people as on the occasion of the triple event of our marriage, our coronation, and the reception of the distinguished strangers from beyond the polar gulf. How shall the glory of that day be described? What occult power must animate the pen that must be at once the stylus of a poet, the brush of a painter, and the wand of a magician to do justice to the splendid theme? The entire army, composed of half a million Waleels, had come from Kalnagor to Kioram to escort the aerial ship containing myself, Leone, and the distinguished strangers, together with our retinue and the sailors from America and Great Britain. On either side of the ship, the army was massed in two equal hosts, waving a million of wings. Either army was led by a phalanx of flying Bokakids, led by Yamul and Grasnagilipas. A bodyguard of Waleels bore fifty gigantic golden scepters, being the ensigns of sovereignty over the fifty provinces of the kingdom. All the way to Kalnagur, five hundred miles distant, the army performed the most incredible evolutions to the measured thunders of music. Its legions massed themselves in ever-whirling globes, undulating all along the lines of flight like monstrous serpents. Again, mighty cones of whaleels would stream from our yacht on both sides, upwards and backward, like a blaze of comet splendour. Then, suddenly, globes of whaleels would surround us, globe within globe, flying alternately in different directions, and we seemed to move on the centre of another earth. To describe the endless flight and counterflight, the concentration and radiation of the Waleels in grand review would be impossible. Captain Adams and Sir John Forbes were astounded at the extraordinary evolutions possible to winged men in a world where there is practically no gravity. The army moved in Daedalian march. It was at times sinuous with labyrinthine movement to the sound of drums and the roar of bugles. The Waleels formed arches and crowns, conchoidal convolutions, zones and wheels, hemispheres and globes, cones and pyramids. The yacht was clothed with sublime torsions, peristaltic splendours, and immense radiations of living bodies. It was the grandest movement of men ever seen on earth. We were again completely surrounded by a single globe of whaleels, in the centre of which moved the yacht with fearful speed. The globe moved as fast as we, and the living shell obliterated both earth and sun from sight. Then, with a roar of artillery, the globe exploded, and lo, before us, the infinite golden dome of the Bormidophia, the marble city of Kalnagur, and the dense multitudes of excited people. The city was decorated with the conquering flag of Leone, and with flowers, and the inscriptions on the triumphal arches were, Long live Lexington and Leone, King and Queen of Atvatabar! The entire army, augmented by the allegiance of the defeated king's troops, headed by the Supreme General Hushnoli, received us at the entrance to the city. Pending the reconstruction of the government, law and order were being administered by Hushnoli, assisted by a military council consisting of all the victorious leaders. The festivities incidental to our entry into Kalnagur and the public rejoicings over the reincarnation of Leone lasted several days. I took occasion at the reception at the Royal Palace to confer suitable honours and rewards on my victorious generals, I created the Supreme General Hushnoli a noble of the first rank under the title of Goylor, or Duke of Kalnagur, and confirmed his authority as Commander-in-Chief of the Army. 
and Zuli Soas was also created Goilus of Kalnagur. General Geralio was created Boyroon of Swerga, an inland city, and appointed vice-commander to Hushnoli. General Rakhine was made Goilur of Swandab, and his appointment as General of the Royal Artillery was confirmed. General Laldemir was made Goilur of Kioram, and Commandant of the Fortress. General Yamul, who retired from the army, was made Goilur of Nafisthasia. The Grand Sorcerer Chaka was made Goilur, and the Grand Sorceress Goilus of Egyplosis, while Grasnagilipas was created Boyroon of Invention and General of the Royal Bokakids. General Starbottle was made Goilur of Savas, a province of the kingdom, and Prime Minister of the government. General Goldrock, who was now fully recovered from his wounded leg, was made Royal Treasurer and Goilur of Blindis, a distant city. Dr. Merryferry was made Minister of Foreign Affairs, General Notothebek, Minister of Naval Affairs, General Pra, Chief of Police, and General Flathootley, Minister of War. I assumed the title of His Majesty Lexington, King of Atvatbar, and Leone that of Her Majesty Leone, Queen of Atvatbar, of equal authority and dignity to myself. I issued a decree confirming all titles and dignities for life of the recipient only. As a man cannot transfer his character or abilities to his children, more especially the virtues that made him famous, so neither could he transfer his titles or dignities to posterity. And a man who had no other claim to greatness than the plumes he had borrowed from his father should be despised from strutting in artificial glory. The barodomy was maintained, and no restriction of popular or constitutional liberty already enjoyed by the people was permitted. All titles given to men who were simply fortunate enough to receive a majority of votes, making them representatives of the people in the barodomy, were abolished, and men only were honoured by virtue of great services accomplished. All members of the barodomy were paid liberal salaries, on the principle that a prince had no more right to an appropriation from the public purse than a legislator. All public measures adopted by the barodomy were subject to the veto of the royal council, composed of the king, queen, and actual members of the government. I need not say that the victory of Leone over death and the fact that our army having conquered in battle gave us unlimited power. I was the supreme lord of Atvatbar, but nevertheless, in the hour of triumph, I determined to use my power for the good of the people. The sensation caused by the return of Leone to life had stirred all Atvatbar with feelings of the profoundest awe and loyalty. Vast crowds of people came as pilgrims to see their queen and offer congratulations. Had the old creed, with its worship of Leone and Harikar, not fallen with the success of our arms, Leone would undoubtedly have been worshipped anew as a goddess more devoutly than ever. But the revolution being founded on antagonism of the old faith to social welfare and the laws of nature, a new creed must necessarily take its place. The new creed of one body and one soul was based on order, truth, justice, benevolence and temperance. This I styled the Remoloria or better thing to that which had gone before. The new creed gave the soul mastery of its feelings, and love was measured by a regular throb. Souls becoming stronger and more masculine were the better able to bear the pulsations of joy and despair. They could sustain their emotions with a cordial enthusiasm, and passion, no longer a frantic flame, became a soft and abiding fire. I appointed the Grand Sorcerer, Pontiff of Remorialism, giving him authority to formulate a code of ethics that all could adhere to. With such a code as a solid foundation, I hoped in time to establish a purer faith than that possessing only the human soul for its deity. Not many days after our coming to Kalnagor, and while still engaged in settling the government of the kingdom, we received a visit from Hushnoli and Zuli Soas. 
It was with feelings of pain that we heard the object of the Supreme General's visit. With a voice softened with emotion, Hushnoli told his story. In carrying out the reforms at Egyplosis made necessary by the success of the army of the late goddess, a great difficulty presented itself. It was found that notwithstanding the fact that all the priests and priestesses had fought for Leone and the new faith, as against the old order of things, nearly one half of the twin souls were still at heart as great devotees of Harakar and hopeless love as ever, while the remaining half had renounced the practices of Egyplosis in common with their queen. It was found impossible to change the faith of the entire priesthood in a moment, so as to speak, and many still believed that the old faith possessed fruits of self-sacrifice, culture, spirit power, and the ideal life, such as the new state of things would utterly destroy. Hushnoli and the high priestess were in sympathy with the adherents of the ancient faith, and they too believed in sacrificing marital rights for the sake of the ideal existence. The revelation of such a spiritual revolt in Egyplosis, headed too by the man and woman who had sacrificed so much for the cause of Leone and myself, revealed human nature in a new light, while it astounded us. I had foolishly supposed the supremacy of the sword could carry dominion into spiritual things, and that Egyplosis was wholly converted to the new faith, to remorialism. The situation was extremely painful. Supreme General and High Priestess, I said, both Her Majesty Leone and myself are greatly indebted to your courage and support in the late struggle, a support heroically given us in spite of your own secret faith. Is there no way by which you might be reconciled, both of you, to the new order of things? We fear not, Your Majesty, said Hushnoli. Will riches, will honour not tempt you? Your Majesty, we cannot be tempted, replied he. You are doubtless aware, I continued, that it would be impossible for the government to recognise, much less give support to, a system of faith for the destruction of which the war was carried on. Much as we love you, much as we love the priests and priestesses, we cannot give allegiance to the old faith. We cannot, we dare not countenance your creed. It will therefore be impossible for yourselves or your people to remain at Egyplosis, which will be the chief shrine of the new faith hereafter. We have already anticipated all this, said Hushnoli, and do not propose to remain even in Atvatbar. And where do you go to? said Leone in astonishment. Well, your majesty, replied he, we have determined to take possession of the sphere Hilar, one of the untenanted spheres above us, and there create an ideal world. Thus we will relieve your majesty of all embarrassment and remove any obstacle in the way of religious or political reform. I was bewildered by the reply of Hushnoli, as I had never before heard of anyone desiring to dwell on the wandering sphere Hilar, and begged an explanation. Hilar, as your majesty is probably aware, said Hushnoli, is a sphere twenty-five miles in diameter that floats in space at a distance of fifty miles from the surface of Atvatbar. It revolves on its own axis at the rate of a mile an hour, making a complete revolution in seventy-five hours. It also revolves around Swang, once during a hundred aerial revolutions, or in one hundred of its days. It has tropic, temperate and frigid zones, with perpetual ice capping its poles. It contains one ocean of irregular outline and has one continent. The areas of land and water are about equal. There are two mountain ranges, turning from a given centre of upheaval and determining the configuration of the land. There are one hundred islands in the sea and a dozen rivers on the land. In fact, it seems to be a facsimile in climate, geologic and physiographical conditions to the outer world you have come from. And on such a sphere we propose to build a new throne for Harakar, and seat thereon another goddess like the virtuous and glorious Leone. 
Ah, said Leone, I know who that other goddess will be. She will be the fair Zulisoas. The high priestess blushed in her robe of crimson silk, making her a golden beauty superb and precious. As for Hushnoli, it was evident the destiny of his counterpart's soul was already fully anticipated. Her ascension to the throne of a goddess would virtually make him ruler of Hilar. We desire, your majesty, said he, to resign our titles and offices of high priest and priestess of Egyplosis, and supreme general and general of the Amazons of the royal army of Atvatbar. Our only request is that we be allowed to depart to Hilar together with such of the priests and priestesses of Harakar as are willing to follow us thither. Also that all new converts to Harakar, desirous of emigrating to our spiritual kingdom, will be secured freedom of departure from Atvatbar for all time hereafter. I willingly granted Hushnoli and Zulisoas their request, and added, You both shall be promptly and liberally rewarded for the great services rendered your king and queen in time of war, as well as recompensed for past services to the country in Egyptplosis and for loss of estate in Atvatbar. I promise to issue a royal decree embodying all of the aforesaid liberties and bounties in favour of Hushnoli and his fair consort and their followers. The late high priest and high priestess, with grateful cordial adieus, departed from the audience chamber. I thereupon appointed General Rakhine the commander-in-chief of the army in place of Hushnoli, with General Geralio the vice-commander. End of chapter 56